You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we continue our series through the book of Philippians as Pastor Josh Brady preaches from chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. As we hear from God's word, we pray that God would convict, challenge, and shape us to glorify himself. Well, good morning, church. How are we? Is it cold enough for you? It's fall. It's awesome. I can't wait. All right. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you open to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians 1 is our text for today. Uh, As you are finding your way there, if you are in your Following Jesus Bible, that is page 1274. But let me give you a word of warning that I received from some of our our young ones' teachers. (laughs) Evidently, they were in class either this week or the week prior, and the teacher said, turn to this page in their Bible. And they said, well, what page number is that? Uh, And they said, well, you need to find that. Well, Pastor Jock. Bible. We're going to get there. Okay. As we are turning to Philippians chapter one, uh, I pray that you have enjoyed the first four weeks of this series. And as we dive in today, I hope you're going to begin to see a bit of a shift. So let me, let me set this up for us. Okay. So if, if we are just a casual reading of, of the, the verses that we've looked at so far, verses one through 18, uh, and if we zoom in on those, those verses, it, what, what it says is we have the apostle Paul who is, is loving the people, right? So if we went back to, to Acts chapter 16 and, and we saw where, where the Lord had sovereignly brought these people together and Paul went on this long journey to, to start this church and 10 years later, he's in this prison and he writes a letter and it's a letter truly of affection. Like, like he, he loves these people. This, this letter is written differently than any other of the Pauline letters, right? So, so for him, it's straight encouragement. It is building them up. It is encouraging them to continue on in the gospel work. So, so we, we would see that if, if you zoom in, just, just, hey, you guys are doing great. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for always praying for me. We can trust God's goodness. But if you were to zoom out and you go back to those same 18 verses, you are going to see that Paul isn't just opening a letter and giving them some pleasantries at the beginning before he dives into the good stuff. What he does with the first 18 verses is he begins to form in them and forge in them their theology of God and how they are to take the gospel to the nations starting right where they are in Philippi, right? And so what we are hopefully seeing is God using this word to form and forge our theology, what we believe what we think about God that will then in turn allow us to live on mission the way that he has called and created us to do. Now, with that being said, I would love for us to understand this very thing, that when we have this formed and forged theology, it allows us to do some pretty incredible things. You're going to see it happen here in the text, but hopefully you're going to see it happen here in Madison. You're going to see it happen in your workplace. You're going to see it happen at your schools. When, when you get called away on business trips or you get to go on vacation or you're outside the city limits of Madison, you are going to see that you are going to be used in a mighty and profound way for God's glory. When we understand this rightly, it causes us to run to the hardest places with joy. It empowers us to stay longer in the harder situations. It it helps us to love the most difficult people. It allows us to conquer all of our greatest fears, all the while to see Christ proclaimed, 
to see Christ honored and his kingdom advanced. And that's why we see in the very first verse today, we're going to back up and read just the half verse. So if you, if you have a Bible or if you're reading out of the ESV, more than likely your, your paragraph break or, or your new heading is going to start with half of verse 18. And that's exactly where we're going to start today. So if you would, Philippians chapter 1, I want you to go to, to verse 18, and we would technically call this 18b, although you won't have the b there. But it is the second half. You'll, you'll see it. It's the Apostle Paul says, yes. And I will rejoice. See, Paul here makes a, out of the gate, he makes a conscious choice that whatever is going to come his way. Now, now remember, he's in prison and his future is unknown. The type, of, the type of sentence that he is living out currently, evidently because he is under the care of, of the Praetorian Guard, right? He, he's, he's under the care of, 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 of Caesar's Guard. He doesn't know if he's going to live. He doesn't know if he's going to die. He doesn't know when the sentence is going to be passed down. He doesn't know when he's going to stand before um, the, the emperor, right? So, so when we look at this, his mind is made up. Whatever, whatever will happen, whatever is future for me, I'm going to rejoice regardless. We cannot know what the future holds, but we can know how we will respond. That is direct application for us today. And so for, for Paul, he chooses not to find his 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 situations as a place of rejoicing or his current circumstances as a place of rejoicing, but he finds his God as a certain place of rejoicing. Who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. Those are the very things that Paul anchors his heart in and where he is going to find his joy. Paul did not find joy in anything else outside of his relationship with God. Now, let me be clear, church. This is something that as we continue to, to trust this and to know this, it is going to fortify in us our faith. A lot of times we think our relationship with God is circumstantial. Meaning that if we are doing good and doing what we believe God has called us to do through his word, then God will love us more. And if, for some reason, we are doing this poorly, like we, we aren't living out the life that we believe God has called us to live, then God is not going to love us to the fullest extent. That is not true, church. God does not love us based on what we have done or what we will do. God loves us based on what Christ has already done for an eternity. So we have positional relationship with God. We are forevermore, if you are in Christ, you are forevermore at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. And so the Apostle Paul knew that, and so here's what he understood. He is living for an eternity now. Like, like right now, in this moment where he is living and breathing air in this jail, it is but just a blip on the map for him. He can't wait to get to the next place. But he also has this understanding that God is completely sovereign in all that he does and all that he allows. And so you're going to see in a moment, he's going to, to wrestle with some things and essentially say, God, whatever you want is what I want. That's what allows him to say right here, I will rejoice. Yes, I will. Whatever comes my way, I'm going to rejoice at what God trusts to me. And I, I don't want to trust, I don't want to rush past this moment. I know a lot of times we can read the New Testament. And, and again, just as, as we are reading in our daily Bible, reading plan, which we should be doing, 
A lot of times we can look at the players in, in the New Testament. We read their names. We read the Apostle Paul. We read John. We read Peter. We, we read Thomas. We read Timothy. Like, like we, any, any of these names that, that seem to be walking with the Lord and, and somehow in God's sovereign grace, they, they are now forever etched in His Word. A lot of times we can attribute to them things that aren't theirs. A lot of times we will believe that somehow because they made it into the Bible, they were super Christian. Or even worse, a lot of times we will try to deify them. This, this idea of, of ascribing to them some sort of, 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 of level of deity as if, if this is where Christ is, then Paul must be right here as well. To be completely understanding, Jesus is the only perfect person who's ever walked this earth. Everybody else is fallen for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. When we see them, we should not see them as they have done something, but we see them as God doing something through them. This is important for us because a lot of times we'll read New Testament letters and we'll say, man, that's really good for somebody like Paul. I know that's not me. Man, I'm so glad that Timothy was a great pastor in the, in the first century church, or, or Peter was a great leader of, of the church of Jerusalem. Man, he, he must have just been, been God, God must have just favored him. No, no, listen to me. God uses broken people to bring him glory. That's what this Bible teaches. And so when we look at our own lives, I don't want us to read this and say, man, that's for somebody else. That mentality of whatever may come my way, I'm going to trust God through it. That's for somebody who is more spiritually further along the journey than I am. No, that is for us. Here's an Old Testament illustration. This is one of my favorite verses. My wife uh, actually is the one who, who showed this to me. And this is one that we have prayed for, for a long time. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, though the fig tree should not blossom. Nor the fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So when we see this text, we see Habakkuk telling, telling God's people, look, even long before the New Testament, that their joy, their rejoicing is not found in their daily circumstances. Their joy is found that they belong to God, that God knows them, God sees them, and God loves them. And so in the great days, what we would label great, God is good. And in the days that we would label not so great, God is still good. But where does this joy come from? Where does it come from for the Apostle Paul and for every believer? Look at verse 19. For I know... That through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. All right? So Paul, when it talks about this will turn out for my deliverance, Paul is quoting Job 13, 15 through 16 here. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. Now, without going into the sermon on Job and, and going all the way back to, to that Old Testament passage, just to be clear, again, what, what Job is saying, what Job is understanding is, regardless of how this turns out, he's got me. Life, death, I'm saved regardless because God holds my life. Paul shows this in his complete reliance on Christ. He says, I know without a doubt that this situation will set me free. Now, again, he uses the word deliverance. 
Okay, so let, let's dive in just a, a few moments on what these, this word could possibly mean. Okay, two, two possible meanings. Paul is in jail for living out his faith. Potentially, he is on death row. He does not know yet. He does not know where this is going to end for him. So deliverance could be twofold for him when he writes this. Number one, that he is going to be delivered from jail, like, like he gets out. The, the, the door is going to open. He is going to walk out. He's going to go back and be a free man. Or deliverance from this sinful world which means that he will die this earthly death, but he will be set free for an eternity to be with God. That is the deliverance that he speaks of. There's only two ways that deliverance here is to be understood, and it is that. Either would be right to understand, but it's probably best understood as Paul is considering this in jail right now, both and. Paul's heart desired, his desire was deliverance from this world. He just wanted to go home. You ever had days like that? Well, this world became too much to bear, and you just say, Lord, I'm ready, I'm ready, I want to go, I want to be with you. This is, this is where Paul is right now. But Paul's call was deliverance from jail. It was, it was, we're going to see, it is going to be freed from jail, and he is going to go, and he is going to serve. What helped to give him this confidence? If, if we're sitting here today and saying, Josh, I'm not sure I have that confidence. What was it that gave Paul this confidence? Two things. This is what he writes, your prayers, which means his co-laborers were praying for him while he was in jail. Secondly, was the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, that's not a new spirit introduced. That's not a fourth part of the Trinity. That is another way of saying the Holy Spirit, okay? So so two things are at play that, that fortify the apostles' faith. And please, please don't get lost without these things, okay? Number one, what what fortified his faith was believers who loved him, who would continually pray for him. And number two, the Holy Spirit at work in his life. All right, church family, here's where we begin to apply this to our life. Do you have friends who are constantly praying for you? Do you have people in your life that you do life with that you're praying for them? All right, so some of that you could be, well, I need better friends. All right, let 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 me tell you where I think this lays more to you than to them particularly in the culture that we live in, where we want everything to be nice and ordered. We don't want anybody to know our business. And if somebody asks us to pray, they can just pray for something very vague, right? Here, here's, here's where, how can our friends pray for us if they don't know us? How can, how can our friends be, be going before the Father on our behalf, begging God to do something in our life if they have no clue what is going on? That the only time they ever see us, we have smiles on our faces and we walk out of this door and it is the saddest day because we feel like we are drowning. We, have, we are gathered by thousands of people around us today. And when we walk out, we feel like we've not seen a person. Paul's saying, look, I get, I, I've, I've received encouragement. My faith has been fortified because of the brothers and sisters around me who have lifted me up and continue to pray for me while I am in shackles. And then secondly, and just as potent, is the Holy Spirit's work within him. But a lot of times people will say, well, I just need the Spirit of God. Yes, that is correct. You need the Spirit of God. But you also need brothers and sisters lifting you up. Why? Because the Bible says we do. We need each other. The Apostle Paul said that is what gave him the confidence to continue on. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe, maybe this thought has crossed your mind once or twice. Does prayer really do anything? Just, what, what, what 
good does prayer actually do? Have you ever wondered? Does prayer ever change anything? The answer is yes. Does prayer actually encourage people? Even if they don't know you're praying for them, does it encourage them? Yes. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. So, another application for us this morning. Maybe you have friends who are praying for you. And I love that. I love getting texts every Sunday morning from many of you across this faith family telling me that you are praying for me. Many of you are praying right now. We, we actually have a prayer ministry that is going on right now where people are outside of this room and they are on their knees and they are begging God for, for you on your behalf. Praying for me, praying for our worship team, praying for our response time, praying for all that. Like, like that's happening right now. But my question is now going to kind of lob back at you and, and me. We are thankful to receive prayer, but are we diligent in praying for those around us? I know a lot of times we'll see people in, in our culture, the really nice thing to say is, hey, I'll be praying for you, brother. Or sister, I, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to be praying for you. But do you really pray for them other than that moment when you, when you say those words? Here, here's a challenge I want to give to us today. Write down the names of people in the morning, right after you wake up. At some point, you you could do it the old school way with pen and paper. You can take out your phone to the notes section. But write down names of people that you are going to continue to pray for throughout the day. Write down their situation. Do you know them? We talk a lot about knowing and being known. What do you know about them? Why do you need to lift them up? What are they going through? What, What encouragement do they need? And then, if it would be okay... Find ways to remind yourself throughout the day to pray for them. You're going to pray for them. Uh, maybe, maybe you're going to put post-its. Maybe you're going to put reminders on your phone. Maybe in your own personal prayer time that you have set aside every day, that you spend some of that time praying for others in that prayer time. Church, we don't need to have everything figured out to pray for someone. So, so why do we pray? Why, why, what does it do? Exactly what help does this bring? Well, obedience to Christ is sometimes a great mystery. Essentially, Christ told us to pray, therefore, we should pray. He modeled praying for us. And the Bible is full of people praying for others. So, let us be people who pray for one another. Because this is, this is simple. I don't want you to miss what the Apostle Paul said. At the beginning of this letter, before we get into all of the life verses in chapter 2, 3, and 4 of Philippians, we get this where he is saying to these believers, this is what is helping me hold on to Christ. This is what is allowing me to to have my faith fortified in my relationship with the Father is you praying for me and the Holy Spirit's work in my life. Prayer matters. It matters not only for the Apostle Paul, it matters for you and it matters for me. So, are we praying for others, and are others praying for us? But let's get back to the text. Look at verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So, he uses a phrase here, expectation and hope, and these are words of confidence, not wondering, right? 
So, so he is he's going to say this idea of hope, but not hope like we normally use it. Like a hope that I have for today is I hope the saints win. I don't think it's going to happen. I think we have New England. We're still not going to win. I hope that crawfish gets below $1.99 this year. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do have hope. This isn't what the Apostle Paul is talking about. That is a silly, trivial hope that we are just saying something nice towards something we don't believe. Paul is saying when he speaks of hope, when he speaks of expectation and hope, it is not a, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. What he is saying is, I am telling you how it's going to turn out because God has already revealed that to me. So for him, he is 100% confident that he will not be ashamed. He will not be put to, to be ashamed. In what? His current situation and his pending outcome. Regardless of how it unfolds, there is no shame attached to it. How? Because whether in life or death, Christ is going to get the glory. How can he be so confident? How can we be confident in that? Look at verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Probably one of the most famous verses in this letter. And I want to to kind of give you just a, a little glimpse as we look to this, even in the Greek. For me, Living essentially equals Christ, right? It's, it's not a comparison. It's not like, like to my life and I'm going to compare that to, to being Christ-like or dying, comparing that to gain. Um, there, there is no is here. It, it is just living Christ, dying gain. They're the same exact thing to the Apostle Paul and as he communicates that. What a simple mentality that will and can change the world. I'm going to honor Christ with my life no matter if it is in life or death. This is the one, of most, one of the most encouraging verses in all of the scripture. Really, it's the only, hear me out, if we get this, if, if we truly understand this, if we apply this to our life, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and that no matter what happens outside of that, nothing can touch us that is outside the hand of God then there's no more fear. I think that's why when Paul wrote Romans chapter 8, this is the heart behind that such powerful chapter. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Why? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Think, think about this. If we lived this way, if, if we understood this and lived this out, okay, and we, we are called to the hard places. Let's say, let's say God takes us to a place that's really hard and we don't know how it's going to turn out, okay? And, and somebody comes along and they say, if you don't stop what you're doing, we're going to take your life. And, and you believe this. And you're living this out. And you believe that God is sovereign over all things. Great. You want to kill me? Great. Then I get to leave this broken world and go enjoy my king. But I'm going to make you suffer. I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you suffer. Great. I'll be able to suffer just like my king Jesus. What an honor. Oh, you're so frustrating. How about this? I'm just going to let you go and get out of here and be free. Great. I'll continue to serve my Jesus and preach the gospel. I know that may sound extreme to you, but that was the apostle's life. And in many ways, we get caught up in fear that would fit into these categories. 
It may not be extreme to the point of they're going to take your life, but maybe they're going to treat you differently because you live for Jesus. Maybe they're going to ostracize you because you live out your faith in the right way. Or maybe they're just going to let you be because you are a person of faith and you can go. And then you're going to feel some sort of loneliness. And that, no, 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 hear me out. If we understand that we are living for not this world but the next, but while we are here to live as Christ and to die as gain, there is nothing that can stop us, nor is there anything that can make us fearful. This is the hope we have in Jesus. Okay. Does this mean, Josh, that that what you're saying, does this mean that we should walk around waiting to be martyred? Like, like, is that something we should do? And I I would say no. Maybe, Maybe there will be a time that comes. Maybe there'll be something that happens in your life, but I don't think that is the call of the believer just to, to go around waiting. Okay, this is my chance to be martyred, glory in God. No, no, I believe God has called you to be free in him. I believe God wants you to enjoy life for his name's sake, right? And so for this, I think there's some things that we, we begin to sort out, okay? I don't believe that we need to just wait around and, and, and see when martyrdom comes, But instead, we live our life and we enjoy our life, but for the glory of God and his name's sake. All right, so living this way is going to bring some things into perspective, right? I'm going to give you kind of a a very, very overgeneralized couple of statements, okay? And this should be able to help you because a lot of times we'll get caught up in, all right, Josh, how do I know that I'm living the right life? How do I know that I'm doing the right thing? How do I know if I'm, if I'm honoring God? All right, so so here are just two things. Very overgeneralized. Let me go ahead and state that. So save your email. Here's here's the way I I understand as I read this, okay? If you loving or enjoying something honors Christ and advances his kingdom, then that is a good thing and you should keep doing it. If you doing something, loving something, or enjoying something honors only you, advances your kingdom, that is not a good thing and you should stop immediately. All right, so, so the, uh, I told you it's overgeneralized, but what about, but what about, I hear you. Think about your life in that. Does what you do honor and glorify Christ and advance his kingdom? If yes, keep doing that thing. But if not, then don't. Because as a Christian church, we have been bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to him. And so with this, we need to live and act accordingly. Again, not to gain affection. We already have the affection of God through the person of Christ. But as born-again people, we should act as such. And so here's just absolutely gut level every day, how you work, how you play, how you spend money, how you vacation, all the things. Is it advancing his kingdom? Is it glorifying his name? If so, keep doing that thing. Keep doing those things. Keep going in that direction. But if it is only glorifying you, if it is only advancing your kingdom here on earth, at the end of the day, nobody knows who Jesus is, but they certainly know who your name is. Stop doing that thing. And probably somewhere in there, there's a lot of just mentality shifting that needs to take place. I believe that you can do one thing and it be good and do that exact same thing and it not be good because of the condition of your heart. 
And after all, that is the very thing that God is after. For we do not work from the outside in, but we work from the inside out. God doesn't say, clean up your behaviors and eventually your heart will catch up. He says, understand, lost person, that you are dead. And if you surrender your heart, God breathes new life into your heart. And then out of that, our our behaviors begin to change. Paul explains this in his life choice. Look at verse 22 and following. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yeah, which shall I choose? I I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. But here's his desire, verse 23. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. So we know where he stands. We know what he desires. Verse 24, though, is his decision. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And as I read that, I begin to even wonder, does our Christian existence serve to help or encourage others, or are all we living for is ourself? With the breath that we have today, right now, are we loving God and loving his people? Here, here's, let's go back to the very over-simplified over, uh, version of, of understanding, okay? Tomorrow, when you go to do whatever you're going to do, what purpose are you doing it for? At the end of tomorrow, at the end of Monday, who's going to get the glory from it? At the end of next week, who is, who is going to be more noticeable, you or Christ, at the end of your week and how you lived and the work that you were a part of and the joy that you took part in? Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, your progress and joy in the faith. So again, we, we go back to a question. Does our Christian existence serve to to care, guide, and encourage others in their faith? Or does our existence bring them joy in Christ? Because this is what we should be doing. We want to care. We want to guide. We want to encourage them. We We want them, as they meet us, to experience the joy of Christ. Verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, look, I want to go home. I want to go be with the Father. I'm t- By this time, he's tired. He's beat up. He, is, he has gone through the ringer three or four times. And what he is saying is, I long to go home. But I know my work is not done here. Because you are still in need of something that I have. And that is encouragement in Christ. And so for us, church, I don't want us to, again, think that we can't be like the Apostle Paul. This has very little to do with the Apostle Paul and much more to do with those who are surrendered to the will of Christ in their life. Paul says, I am here, I'm put here for you, for your good and God's glory. Do you believe that about your life? Do you believe that that's why you have the job you have? Do you believe that's why you have the school that you, you go to? Do you believe that's why you are uh, having the friend group that's around you? Guys, this is to bring God glory and to bring good to those that are around us. This is the call of our life. As we move into our closing time, there's a couple of thoughts I want to share with you. So how do we get to this point in our life where all we want to do is to honor Christ? 
in life, in suffering, in death, whatever, whatever would, would come, we say, Lord, let it be. Here, here's where I think. Mm-mm. This is what I know the scriptures teach. That until Christ is supreme, then we are going to have a hard time squaring up what we say with how we live. Until Christ is supreme in our life. And what that means is to where he is, where he is sitting on the throne of our life, where we don't just submit to him for one hour a week in church, but we submit to him every second of every day. Not perfect. We're not perfect. That's why he came. But we give all of who we are to him, and we say, we belong to you. Our yes is on the table. Until we get there, church, there is going to be this crazy coexistence of, I proclaim Christ, but I live a different way. And I know that is frustrating. That's frustrating in my own life. When I think about this, I think about my relationship with my family, right? With my job and the calling that I have on my life, I have an opportunity to to travel quite a bit, to see and experience some incredible things, to see God move in some incredible ways. But no matter what I experience here or around the globe, no matter how awesome it is, there always comes a point that I just, I'm ready to go home. I want to go and I want to be with my family. Like, I just, I want to be with them. Like, in this, like, again, everything pales in comparison to being with them. Illustration to prove this point. If Christ isn't our greatest joy, our deepest love, our all-consuming passion, then our life will always be in constant turmoil with ourselves. Because whatever your all-consuming passion is, church, listen, will always win out. It will always win out in the time given. Money spent, love given, focus given, and glory given. Whatever you see as supreme, those things are sure to follow. So we can say we love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But our life is always going to prove what is true. So as we wrap up our time together this morning, we need to be honest with ourselves and with the Father. We can say that Christ is the center of our lives, And that we love him with all that we are. But is our life today proving that to be true? If not, and more than likely, it's not. Or at least it's not as much as we desire it to be. We need to repent. To joyfully turn back to Christ. I know a lot of times we hear that word repent, and that is a churchy word. And a lot of times it feels harsh, like, you did something wrong, sinner, repent. No, listen to me. Repentance is such a gracious gift that God has given to his people. For when we are walking in a wayward direction, a way that God does not desire for us to walk or ever ascribe for us to walk, and in his grace by the Spirit... And by other brothers and sisters speaking truth into our life, we are called to stop walking towards destruction. And now we can turn and walk back to the Father without shame or guilt. It's not a... Anybody here got a dog? We have two fun dogs. One is a huge Labradoodle and one is a little thing. He's a chew toy. I don't know. He's... 
But he runs, he runs the house. One, uh, legitimately, he's eight pounds, the Labradoodle's 105 pounds, and the Labradoodle is not the boss. But yesterday, we walk outside, we're playing outside, and, and again, this is not on my mind, I'm not calling the dog to repentance, yet he knows that he is not to chew up any of the girls' toys. And the girls should know that they should not bring their toys outside, because if they do, it is the last day we're going to see said toy. And so we played and outside all yesterday afternoon. It was a lot of fun. And I noticed that dogs are a lot like kids, that when they get quiet, something is going wrong. You can count on it. And so normally he's at the door scratching or he's barking, but there was no scratching or barking. And I walk out and we have like this fireplace right outside the back door. And he's standing on the fireplace with a unicorn in his mouth. And he is staring at me and I just stare at him and he opens his mouth and it falls. And he hangs his head and walks away. And I thought, if you, you're a smart enough dog. If you can know that, you can know. I got mad at the dog. It's okay. Well, the Lord forgave me for that. But as I'm thinking through repentance, a lot of times we view it as that, oh, no, we got caught again. That's not what repentance is, and I don't want you to understand it as such. God is not shouting us down for making a mistake again. God is graciously calling us back from walking towards the disaster he has already called us away from. And so for the Apostle Paul, as he sits in prison, he is not saying, you have one chance to do this. What he is saying is, we serve a gracious God who is always extending this grace to me and he's extending this grace to you. And so if you find right now, in this moment, today, that you are walking in a direction that you would say one thing but live something completely different, there should be no guilt and shame attached to that Christian. Instead, there should be love and grace when you hear the Father's call to stop and turn around. And when you see him, you don't hang your head, but you allow him to be the lifter of your head and you walk back in confidence. This is the good news of the gospel. Guilt and shame for the Christian is no more. Wrath is no more for the Christian. Christ took it all on the cross. So instead we come and in our repentance we walk back to the Father joyfully and expectantly. If your words and your life are not in agreement, The type of living to live as Christ and to die as gain is all but impossible. So this morning, as we move into this response time, let us remember the goodness of God again. Let us return to his loving arms again so that we can say with confidence, living is Christ, dying is gain. There's nothing outside of his goodness that can ever separate me from him. So this morning, as we are having our faith fortified, as we are hearing God calling us back, I don't want you to get ahead and, and think of all the things that you have to do to please God. Christ already pleased God. I do want you to think of positionally where you are with God. Because you can say one thing, but your life is always going to prove what's true. So, in this invitation time, we have an opportunity to respond 
That response may be joy. And you may say this morning as you sing this song, God, I thank you for the work that you've done in my life for every day. I am, I'm becoming more in line with what I say and what I do. Maybe you're here today and you say, what I say and what I do are nothing alike. And Josh, I need help. Would love to pray with you this morning. This altar will be open for you to come and pray. But before we move into the sacrificial living that we're going to see in Philippians chapter 2, this living out our faith every single day, before we get there, the actual doing, we need to settle the being. We are positionally saved, not circumstantially. We belong to God, not because of what we have done or will do, but because of what Christ has done forever. Do you believe that? We've got to settle that first. So that is our invitation this morning. Maybe you're this morning and you're saying, Josh, I I need brothers and sisters around me. I need people to to walk alongside me. I need a church family. Maybe this morning is the, the time that you come and you take some of those first steps of church membership. Need to pray. Maybe you're this morning. You say, "My mouth or my life doesn't doesn't prove that God is real or good, but I want it to." Brother and sister, I'm telling you, today could be the day of your salvation. You come, confess Christ as your Lord, and surrender to Him. With that, let me pray for us, and we'll move into our response time. Father, I love you, and I thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for the truth that it is. Thank you for the call on our life to rest in you. To not just come and feel the need to confess something, but to actually live out what we say and we rest in who you are. In that, Father, we find this strange thing that happens, that there is great relief and grace in that. But if we want to continue in the trying harder and doing better and trying to be enough, it is nothing but exhausting. So help us, Father, choose rightly the response that we would have to your word and to your message today, to your grace and to your mercy today. But Lord Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray. We now stand and respond, church. Would you stand with me?